All right, everyone, welcome to another No Give Required podcast. As always, I have Jay Zabalos with me, Mike Zabalos, the man behind the cameras, making everything possible for us. Today, I have um, an old friend. I think I met Chris, Chris Howder. I met him in 1991. He was already doing jiu-jitsu with my brother Higgins. And I could not say much because uh, my English was not there. But I think it's bringing back so many great memories. Chris Howard, well, welcome to yeah, our welcome. podcast, man. Thank you guys man. for having me on. Um, <laughs> I love podcasts. That's, that's not old school. It's yeah. A, it's a continuous school. It's continuous school. Old. <laughs> it's just a continuous school. Man, it's been, yep. it's been a long journey, man. I remember um, I was a new uh, purple belt in 1991. And I remember before you came, Higgins saying in his then a broken English, my brother, Jean-Jacques, he's going to come. And this guy, man, so amazing. Wait till you see his bar. <laughs> and it's true. Man, that was... It, it, I'm going to start from the time that I met Chris and even before, because I don't know if a lot of people know we had our second school moving from one house, the garage, to the second house was actually his house. Yep. His parents' house. The back garage. Yep. That's that's where we had the school for quite some time, a few years there. And I remember I arrived, they have like a, a balcony on the back of the house and they made a frame and they put a plastic. That was incredible time. But uh, I didn't know until some time that I was living in the U.S. I arrived here in 92. That was his house. And uh, I think it was, uh, it was like a great memory. But I want to go back, Chris, and, uh, and ask you, when was your first encounter with jiu-jitsu? Okay, so let's, um, you know, my origin story, right? Here is the origin story. And um, in a lot of ways, I would say it's, um, we all have kind of the same origin story. And then we have our own unique things about it. Out of all of the athletics, the people who are attracted to the combat sports, as opposed to the non-sport martial arts, like Kung Fu and all yes. that stuff, is a type of a personality that kind of straddles the line between athletics and arts. And not that other athletics like um, the NBA, tennis. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's, it's like almost like a different environment. All have great addition to yes. one's life. And there are arts in, in and of themselves. But the people that are attracted to the combat sports... Um, are a whole other breed. And I was perhaps one of the more extreme versions of that breed. In other words, like... Because you, you were a former U.S. Marine. I was a Marine. And I think that has, in a way, that edge as a background. They need something to I, keep you on the edge. Absolutely. And, um, but I think it even goes back to a childhood. So I was a guy who had a really bad a stutter 
to a point where there's a couple years where I was almost mute. I could barely speak. Um, and now at the time, it sucked, of course. I would say this, from the time I met you and now, it's a huge difference. Huge difference. I don't, I don't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's not there at all. And I give a lot of that to jujitsu. And, and, um, but in that time, the one thing, the, the one skill I acquired is I became a great observer. And I knew how to listen because I couldn't fucking talk. And, um, and I grew up in a uh, kind of one could say a normal working class 70s up upbringing, which was kind of a weird time. And um, those of you who are older out there will remember the weirdness of the 70s. Absolutely. I, I wasn't born that yeah. time. I don't know. <laughs> and I often say I, I was I, I was a child of the 60s, grew up in the 70s, became of age in the 80s. And lost my cool in the nineties. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty good journey, right? And, and I guess jujitsu fits in perfectly. Absolutely. And um, so, as a kid that stuttered a lot, had a big ego, was small for my age, I got in a lot of fights, a lot of fights because I, I had, I couldn't but turned down a fight. I didn't want to be called a coward, right? I, I relate a lot to the honorable culture of, of Brazil. And, um, and then, so I did um, classical but Japanese karate and I would learn this stuff. And it was kind of like, it was either expressly said or implied that once you get to the next level, then it will work. And karate wasn't working really well in my, whether it was just sparring with my friends at the park after school or a real fight, like I always retreated to the primal instinct of rushing in and grabbing. So by the time high school rolled around, wrestling was a natural fit. I'm a grabber and, um, and I was, okay at wrestling um high school was kind of wild years i got ran over by a car my senior year that's a whole long story um yet ran right over my stomach um my head hit hit the engine i remember oil pouring out all over me which was actually blood that i thought was oil from the car it, it's a long fucking story but i got a lot of wild stories of, of youth where I missed. I guess your pace was on the pace to find something that makes you in a normal lifestyle, which I, I, I can see Jiu-Jitsu had yes. in your life regardless. Yes. But continue. I'm, I'm kind of a, I didn't know about those facts. Okay. Well, so, I'm, learning, I'm, yeah. I'm learning to that. So wrestling I love in high school, and I quickly perfected the skill of shooting in, bringing a guy down, holding him in a headlock, and punching him in the face. Um, and I'm not saying I fought all the time. I'm not proud that I fought a lot, but I drank a lot. I couldn't turn down fights. And, and it, you, you know, young males fight. We, That's we, what yeah, we, we do. all have those yeah. phases in our life. Then uh, later on in life, we learned that was 
a learning process that somehow I had to go through. Yes. And you did survive and yes. look at you today here, sir. So then through the, during the period where I, I at, right after high school, I went in the Marine Corps reserves. This will be a whole other story down the other line. But not long after that, I realized that my area of main weakness was a striking. So I got heavily into Muay Thai and boxing. And I had one pro Muay Thai fight, which I won, but it hurt like fucking hell. <laughs> and I remember I sat down between rounds two and three and realized that I had broken my shin. It hurt so fucking bad. And I outhanded the guy because I had a fast jab. That was the one thing I got from a classical karate. Because <laughs> the stance is so bad, right? You have to be fast because if you're down here in a punch, you're gonna get hit first. He, anyone can read it, right? Um, and I did learn the, the beauty of you, you don't wind your shot up and fire, you fire the shot out, right? And so, like, I learned a lot, but I also learned that um, I loved boxing, but, but boxing does not love me back. And um, I was, at the time, I was in a Dan Santos advanced yes. class, but doing Macaulay um, and stuff, yes. which I liked, but... As a guy who fought, wrestled, boxed, did Muay Thai, it wasn't real enough. So I decided that my grappling skills needed work and I would go join the college wrestling team. And when I showed up, Mitz Yamashita, who's now passed away, mm -hmm. was running the Aikido club. And I knew him, and he was showing guys escapes out of mounts. And I'm like looking at this, and I'm like, that won't work against me, Mitz. And he goes, why don't you try it? And of course, he, he, you know, they would mount me, and I'd extend an arm, turn over. I got arm locked a couple times, choke. And it was rough, but, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know Aikido had a whole grappling thing. I want to learn Aikido. And he goes, this isn't Aikido. This is a jiu-jitsu and a special kind. And he wrote down Horion's number. And I immediately went home and called it. This was uh, probably the fall of 88. And Horion answered. And within a week, that's how I started. Then from that point on, and if I guess not Jiu-Jitsu fits for you, you felt also that you fit in for Jiu-Jitsu. And how long after that? I don't know if my brother Higgin was already there. He was there. Um, I usually, th 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 there's a lot of things that I, I think all of us humans, if we're smart, we don't necessarily say in camera and on a public. Yes. But I could sense at the time there was tensions already between Horion, Hegan, and Hoyce, and Hickson. And, um... When I met Hegan, he was Hegan Gracie. And, um, and my first five uh, privates were with Hoyce. And I even hung around Hoyce a bit, you know, 
out in town. And then one time I, I Hoist wasn't around or we had to reschedule and I got Hickson. And then one time I got Hegan and um, I really was trying to arrange my uh, privates with Hickson and Hegan um, at that time. And Horion had it structured where, because the group class was kind of the reward after you were approved of by your instructor. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to get in the group class because I wanted to spar. And, um, and I, I'll always remember my first a private with Hickson, I, I learned the real headlock escape that um the one you used to hold everyone right N not my wrestling version of holding it and, and and how we escaped athletically and explosively and they learned the technique yes and i learned about using the shoulder and i remember hickson explaining that um this is a more weight class oriented thing you're lightweight i don't want to be holding a heavy weight in the lock and you, you, you know you say hold yes. me and then you turn me and now he's on top and and i'm like oh yeah that is and um my first hegan private i remember i asked him i go um he goes okay um what do you want to learn one of the things i really liked right off the bat about hegan is i like went in there and and i was probably the third one in a row um where hegan only was getting paid like five bucks a private um and and he goes, oh, my friend, I'm Hegan Michelle, or, or he, he, Hegan oh, oh, Gracie, because then he's Hegan Gracie. Um, and um, can you give me a minute, man? I just had like three in a row. And I saw humility. I, I, I was like, wow, you know, this is kind of cool. Because, I mean, from the martial arts world of that time, the pre-internet world, the occasional VHS running Damn. around of a real Brazilian Valley Tudo fight and all that, was, um, I mean, there was a lot of mystique about you black belts from uh, Brazil and the, the Gracie family, a, a lot of fear and, and the challenge and all that, right? Um, so, and, and, and Hegan was very humble. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna ask him. I go, you know that move where they put, you cut the guy's head, like, oh, the triangle. Okay, I'll show you the triangle. And it's like, I was, I felt like I was learning the secrets already, right? And then let's just fast forward a long ways away. I, um, Hegan was starting to teach on his own out of his garage at the same time where he was at Horion's. And Hickson was then starting to have a split from Horion. And, um... I was kind of torn. Check that out. He I goes, was torn where he to go. He goes to yeah. train. He has the options of Hoist, Gracie, <laughs> Higgson, Gracie, Hoist, wow. Gracie, and Higgins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of hard to ask. And it was but 20 bucks I guess if I go to the Higgs is okay. <laughs> and tomorrow we have Hoist is okay. <laughs> and yeah, Higgins next time. And then Horion, like, it was a... Yeah, almost everyone's dream to yes. have the opportunity. At $20 a private. 20 bucks That's a unreal. class. That's unreal. 20 bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks a private. Yeah. I remember that time. Yeah, it was unreal. A lot of classes taught by 20 bucks, <laughs> which I believe back those days was, uh, I think, was reasonable. was a way also. I think it was still cheap. For us to introduce the art, because with a lot of people, like, 
I don't want to do this. We remember going to some schools, showing jiu-jitsu to the school owners, and they figured out they could not survive. And instead of them bringing people in, they said, I don't want to ever see you guys again. I don't want students to see that. But you're right, uh, Chris. I remember because I came up from a, a traditional background. And yeah. I'd, I'd go to different schools, and I used to compete like in point fighting. And there was a lot of ego, a lot of yes. arrogance. And you didn't, you didn't really... They, they, the, a lot of the black belts made themselves unapproachable. Very unapproachable, and, yes. And I went to a tournament after I signed up here. I went to a tournament like my first weekend just to watch. And I saw a super fight. I don't remember the guy's name. is a Brazilian and he fought David Meyer. And uh, the first time I saw black belts fighting live and then I went to get something to eat and I'm sitting there and then that black belt walks up and he sits right next to me. And I was like, oh, should I say something? He's probably, nah, why not? So I told him, I said, that was beautiful, your jujitsu. And he, very broken English, but put his arm on my shoulder, thank you, my friend, shook my hand, and I had the same response. I'm like, wow, not only is he approachable and does he have humility, but his skill set is so, his skill set would allow him to be the opposite of that. And yes. It's not, you know, and I think that's the thing about jujitsu that I've always loved is like the, the, the it does what, bring people together. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And in that early phase, in, in that it, it, it's like there was a while back, not so much anymore, but maybe 10, 15 years back, a lot of guys, especially Americans and Europeans, were kind of scoffing at the Gracie challenge, thinking it was uncool and stuff. But you got to understand the culture then. When I began this, the world thought that movies were reality, much more so. No, we, we today yep. can say jiu-jitsu brought reality into my Into arms. the movies, too. And People realize, yes. like, man, I can't fight 10 guys at once. That's not going to work. It that's not work. real. Yeah. But I think there was the fact they created a little, I guess, misunderstanding and jealousy from a lot of people back those days were like, well, that's not good for my business. And we're yes. not about business, we're about reality. That's how we learn and that's how we're gonna pass on until today. Well, just like, here's a story. And I'm sure you have a bunch of these because you're Jean-Jacques Machado. But when I was a, I'm a new well, purple belt and circumstances of life, mil military and other stuff, it's 1992 mm -hmm. and I find myself in the panhandle of Pensacola, of Florida and I'm the highest ranking guy in the entire area perhaps the entire state at that time and but jiu-jitsu you guys Gracie's Machado's uh, th th there was only but jiu-jitsu in LA Hawaii NorCal that's it that was it. Um, uh, Carly was up north. Um, Carly was in yeah. San Francisco. Yes. Helson was in Hawaii. Helson in Hawaii. And, uh, right here in LA, Carson, Carson City was Horan. Yep. Then, um, then later as we went Redondo Beach. Yes. You then guys in we split, Redondo? We went up to Hickson up in, in Santa Monica. In, yep. And that was it. And, and it was like UFC 1 had happened, I, I think at that time. UFC 1 happened in 91? 
No, no, it was a ninety three. Oh, yeah, wait, it hadn't happened yet. I'm on purple. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I remember I went to the garage of Higgins before UFC. <laughs> that's right. We already have a lot of people trained. The UFC hadn't you happened. Guys, I brought a lot of guys. You guys brought a lot yes. of people because you guys said, "Hey, you went to high school." Said, "Hey, you guys gotta." They don't have a lot of we wrestlers. We got our wrestlers, a lot of kids our boxers, all the guys who like to fight. We we yeah. have. Uh, once I remember, I was visiting my brothers and um, was in Avenue B at that time. On Saturday was the biggest class. I think in the garage you can barely fit two cars. You yeah. have easily 30 plus people. Yep. Then we, we have the, yep. the drive on the back, the, the, the alley. Then yes, the with the, the big hill. Yep. Then what happened was <laughs> we, we did not know all the neighbors on the street. And somebody called the police. Yeah. And they complained and said, hey, it's, something's going on in the house because you have every Saturday 30 cars, 40 cars in the street. <laughs> Yeah. And we have a bunch of these guys yeah, the out yeah, there. The yeah. police came in. You see the cops. The garage is kind of uh, not like open all the way. And you see the cops looking down. Like, what are these guys doing in here? What's going on here? Is this then, a fight then, club? Then he goes like, what are you guys doing? And we explain the cops. This is jitsu And like, they became our students. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. just told us, look, make sure you guys are these spread out in the neighborhood. Don't park here on the same street. Yep. But here I am. We have our first officers. The students yep. in the early 90s. It was early 90s. And you were at the purple belt. I was a purple belt. Yeah, I was. I was. Higgins told me you was you and Bob Bass. Me, Bob Bass, Joey Bass, um, Brian. Remember, I have a skinny Brian. He was a blue belt. Yeah. What his name? I mean, you guys are his best student. You and Bob Bass, particularly. You guys are the top guys. And he said, hey, man, I gotta wrestle those two guys. Yeah, my top guys. All right, Higa, let's do it. But okay, I got to tell you this. So it's before UFC. I'm a purple belt, and I'm addicted to jujitsu. Right? I mean, I need it. I crave it. It's like crap. I have to have it at least once every other day, or I'm going nuts. <laughs> and I go over to the judo club on the Navy base and you know I would do the judo class and I couldn't wait till the very end so I could get to roll with the guys and I could beat then all the black belts right and it would drive them nuts but they would never ask me how and uh, it was the old school days where if, if no one asked you you know tell them right this is my weapon I'm not gonna tell you how to do that <laughs> and um, the local um, but Jeet Kundo Kali Club, there was a local Aikido club at the college, and I would go to all the clubs, and after a while, I would recruit one or two out of each of them, and I had my own a class. And this was, yeah, pre-UFC, but the height of the awareness in the martial arts community of the Gracie Challenge. Mm -hmm. And we had at the a college a campus in this mat room where I had a small class, a whiteboard. And I wrote on there, you know, the jiu-jitsu class uh, Wednesday afternoons, 4 p.m. I don't remember. And it, it had like the kung fu class, a flyer, the karate class and all that. And one day someone crossed it out and wrote, don't train in a style that has belts, pajamas and all this stuff. And it was an insult, and I could feel my blood rise. Like, oh, that's a fucking insult. Sure enough, about a week afterwards, these guys came, and it was the Kung Fu Club guys, and they 
well, um, had a guy my weight and he's doing all the stretches and all this. I'm like, fuck, I got to do a challenge with no black belts here to back me up. It was fucking scary. And I like, I learned, um, I remembered Horion, you know, how he explained before you yes. did the fight, you discuss what rules are involved. And well, we have eye gouging and groin grabs. And then he wanted the eye gouge and the groin. He's like, you know, that's my style and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, how about round one? We have none just in case, because I don't want to get my eye poked. You don't. And he finally agreed, okay, round one, no eye gouger going grab. And of course, he, you know, he gets in his kung fu yeah. stance and I entered, I take him down. And I learned this from Hegan when I was a, a blue belt, because in this other match, a guy and I, it was a challenge fight. And I would bring him on the ground and I was being nice. I, I would gently choke him out or I would mount him and look, turn him over and then choke him. On, yeah, well, I'm choke him or arm bar. And, and Hegan's like, well, this after every one. And he goes, well, come here. And he goes, and he goes, look, this guy, he will not remember. He thinks it's a fluke. He thinks you get lucky. If you don't cause pain or, or control, he thinks it's, a lucky, it's lucky. And so this time, don't choke him. Hold him down and just start hitting him in the face. And I felt kind of bad about it. But <laughs> as soon as I started hitting him, he's like, okay, okay, watch out, right? And it's like, okay. And then I learned that. So then later on, when I'm alone, I'm it's, uh, no black belts around me. I like say, okay, no eye gouge, but grab. I mount him. And I'm like, you can't move. And he tries to grab my groin. And I just started fucking bitch slapping him, right? And then he turned and I choked him and I jumped up and I go, let's go one more. Now we allow everything. And he goes, nope, I had enough, right? <laughs> it was kind of fun in those early days, right? And I, and I think in a way, in a, a lot of people sometimes see that and they think it was something violence. Jiu-Jitsu had to create their own path of the existence. Yes. Since little early days in Brazil, all the fights that happened on the street, none of the fight was pursued by any member of the family. I remember every altercation that we ended up being involved was to defend ourselves. Yeah. But was for us a point to prove how efficient yes. the training that we yes. do. We never train it to fight on the streets. We train just to protect ourselves. But you have like ages that in the 70s and the 80s, yeah. and a lot of countries they have a different culture and a lot of things happening. Mm -hmm. And in our days, was each altercation that happened was one step forward to establish jiu-jitsu even further. Yes, yes. Because imagine in all those altercations, if somebody loses the battle, mm -hmm. we might not be here today talking. That's right. You know what I mean? What people yeah. don't realize is the amount of pressure in a great way that everyone that's from the family that stepped in the ring or had any fights is not about, it's a win-win. Right. There's no losing, crossing anyone's mind. You guys the confidence had that we so have, much pressure. So much pressure. There we go. And it was way like in yeah, Brazil. But we know if yeah, we want was... you to stay alive, we have to go through this. Yeah. 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 And and I remember, I don't know whether it, I think it, it, it was Hickson very early on, he said, because I, I think I asked him about a strikes and, and 
and he's, he said, you want to learn a jujitsu solution to a striking problem, not how to wrestle and hit. And that really stuck. Whereas later on as a newer black belt, I remember, you know, I would often when my guys, you know, were grappling, maybe they're grabbing a leg here and they're holding it here, I'd slap them in the face just to remind them not only are you unaware of my hands, but you're, but you, you can't hit back, but I can hit you as the black belt because you have to find a, a jujitsu solution to, to me hitting you, not a hit me back. And it seemed like at the time when I was a lower belt, it's like, oh, that's not fair. Only the black belt, he gets to punch me and I can't punch. But really, that's how you learn this art. Because otherwise, we would go in, we would leave the art, just like almost like the new modern game became so we, we detached always, from the strike. We understand that when you hit, I grapple. Yeah. When you grapple, hit. Yes, yes, yes. And now. understand there's no exchange. I'm not doing, you punch and punch, no. No. You punch and grapple. Yes. Oh, you want to grapple me? Now I'm going to hit now you. Now I'm going to hit you. you yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the philosophy idea behind in our early days in training. I like that. For early. safety. For safety. Yes, yes. For safety. And um, in, in all this process of having classes and learning from the roots, the beginning of Jiu-Jitsu, if you have to, to make some, put in a scale today, how much a difference was back in those days in the garage learning the foundation, the basics that we're still carrying that until today and the jiu-jitsu that is out there today? If you can see in a scale, yeah. it's not about better or worse. It's just... It's just changed. It's just changed. It's like, remembering in, in the old days, we would all show up, some guys a bit late, some guys early, and then at a point, the, a black belt would start of the class. And then at any time, you're like, okay, guys, everybody stop against the wall. We'd have Ironmans, challenge fights. You know, like, okay, Chris, lie down. We'll grab your belt with one hand. You, the passes guard. And then it would be like a lot of, and it was just kind of structured. It always felt just much more intense back then not like it yeah. was friendly but it, it was more realistic more realistic and it was like and a lot of times like in, in the waning days when i at the old hole in the wall school in redondo <laughs> where i always um, say like i remember the, the the final months where all the machados were all on the mat all together and it was when I was going to do brown belt in the through early black belt and just watching how you guys would train and stuff. And, and I think you, that was when you were getting ready f for Abu Dhabi too. At yeah, that nine, point. Yeah. 99. Or no, yeah, that's, yeah. was that? You yes, had, you had a yeah. I did a fight in, um, I think I fought Nakai. I'm not sure which year, 95, 96. Yeah. Then, um, but yeah, we always train in a way that when we learn in Brazil, in a, in a different aspect is Jiu-Jitsu is already there. 
from prior generations. There was yep. no need for any kind of introduction. And evidently, when people come in, you see a lot of people with different backgrounds. We're not sure if they're ready to, to do jiu-jitsu for real. Yeah. That's why in the beginning it was a very slow and kind step, showing very basic techniques to make people familiar with the ground. Yes. Because no one had any clue no one had what any you clue. do on the ground. Yep. I remember me before the whole year, escape from the mount, pass the guard, control from the mount, arm lock, arm bar, somebody turn it back, back choke. That yeah. was the class. And I remember for the whole year, everyone that comes in and have a lot of guys, big, small, all different backgrounds. Sir, line up back, I'm gonna mount on you. If you escape from the mount, your first 30 days will be free. <laughs> they look at you like, what? That's it? If I escape it free? They're there for five minutes, they couldn't get out. They're like, okay, I'd rather pay. I don't want to try to escape anymore. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and their point was, they had no idea of what to do at all. No, they didn't. And, and so many back then, and still I think, the jiu-jitsu is something that you have to feel. You, oh, it's all about feeling. You can't it's, it's see. It's not what you it. see. It's not what you see. It's what you feel. That's why sometimes yeah. from outside, hey, turn around. And it's like, yeah, from outside, you, yeah, you can see you turn around. But there, you don't know if this guy's sitting on your hip. Yeah. You can't move. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's not what you see. It's very tricky. People sometimes see something. That's not actually what's happening. Yeah. They have no idea. No idea. Even boxing on has, it, oh, has definitely. But that element. is a very different. But uh, people can't can't it's it's when you're watching it it's one thing but when you're here and here it's a whole other world how many times like yeah, you you yeah, said no. yourself no i don't think that works for me yeah until we go there it's like oh what do i sign I yeah. Want to do this. yep yep and is that is that in those early days in the garage any any stories or fun stories that happened because i'm sure the beginning was i think was at the same time more intense but at the same time, more relaxed. People are very friendly. Too. Yes, yes. And um, any stories and during the training, a new visitor or a new student. I remember watching. Um, what was his name? He ended up. He was. He was uh, in UFC one, two, and three. Um, Ken Shamrock. Yes. Came, and I watched. He can play with him like a baby, and then kick him out. <laughs> that was pretty intense. I mean. That was in the little school in Redondo Beach yeah, already. Yeah, yep. And um, was, I, I remember came uh, was Ken Shamrock and Funaki. Yeah. I wrestled Funaki and John. We wrestled Funaki. And yes. It was a very strange time in a way because um, out of nowhere we have, in Shamrock everybody knew who he was. Yeah. Because he fought three UFCs. And, yep. and I think it was about to do the super Royce. fight with Hoyce. Yep. I don't know, he came in and he tried came to figure in it out. to try to get yes. some special thing and you guys just beat him up. And then I remember he even called Hoist afterwards. Yeah, and, and, and what happened hey, was the Ken guy they came. come in with, uh, I don't know, 10 reporters from Japan. Yeah. Pictures everywhere. Yep. I don't know, we looked at each other, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yes, we're going to do the best that we can today. And we, I mean, I wrestled uh, Funak and John too. We just, you guys killed him. And we went through over everyone and I mean, 
they, he knew ground, but not as much as I think he thought he knew. He thought he knew, yes. And when we grappled him, he, I think he realized, and other reporters, because we, we made sure that no picture taken would be good position for him. Yes, yes, that's Every right. Every picture right, yeah. we spoke in Portuguese, I meant. I can take any picture you want, but I have a picture. But you made sure that the whole time you guys just dominated these guys. Yep. And I remember that. I was so impressed. It was a fun experience in those times. We have a lot of those almost like soft challenge. Yes. Not like MMA, but was like grapple challenge. A lot of people that came in. Yep. And there was like, like when I was a purple and a brown belt, people would want to challenge me because not only would I be easier, but I might be nicer if I win. And that was kind of their thinking behind it, right? They were wrong. Like, <laughs> we are nicer than Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they miss, they miss. It's not what you see. <laughs> what about competing? You, I, I watched. I actually, competed, yeah. You competed pretty. I remember watching a lot of He's a world champion. At Black Belt. I watched yes. a lot of your stuff at Black Belt. But... I competed more than most, not as much as some, right? Um, and so I, 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 I had a lot of. I was actually the first American a black belt to win an official match. Uh, it was against, I can't remember I re his name. I, I remember that. Hickson was the ref, you raised my hand. Um, and it was- I think it was a Pan American. Yes. Joe Moreira it was somewhere. A, and I remember thinking, because you gotta understand, at that point in time, there was maybe six or eight of us non Brazilian of black belts in yeah you the you area. are one of the first ones in america to become a black i'm belt. in the first 12 i don't know what number i am but at that point in time our only vision and view of a, a black belt was gracie's machados and i would still feel like a blue belt against like jean jack <laughs> or hegan or um, so i got this match now against a brazilian black belt and I think I'm going to probably lose, but I'm going to give him the best fight I can. And Hickson walks out and he's the ref and he calls us over and you, you could hear a pin drop because it was an American, right? And, and all the other matches stopped and everyone crowded the mats. And it was those old days where everyone would crowd the mat. We, we have like yeah. only two mats to fight. Yeah. This way, every <laughs> fight became, had the full attention. Which I miss those days. I miss those days I too. I think now I have 20 yeah. matches, then become some. I understand so many people, you gotta have it, but back those days, like every fight was almost like a super fight. Yes. From the blue to the black belt. And we watched it the way the, the Japanese. Everybody watched, was very right? quiet. With respect. It's not like now where like fans and white belts and well, blue belts are yelling at a black belt, get his arm, get his arm, as if he doesn't know that, right? <laughs> it was, it, it was, there was a respect of, uh, about I the fight. I think it's, everybody was not aware much of what it could happen. Yep. I think today, so many people are more familiar with the arts. Yep. And that's why everybody thinks they know what they should say. They do. They sh And again, it's, they say because of they're hoping they want their friend or the person they like to win. But as you just said, 
the guy's a high belt. He knows what he's doing over there. And right. I think back those yeah. days was more like, oh, let's see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I was, I don't know. It was, yes. And everyone was unaware, like, it could be a sweep, an arm choke. It was it And was that was, yeah. I think, was, uh, was truly some of the greatest time, I think, in terms of tournaments. Everybody that had the chance to participate and be involved fighting those events, I had a, an amazing memory. Yes. It was amazing times. And, um, and how was for you, Chris, being one of the roots in the beginning of jiu-jitsu, that what you have in mind in terms of, I see a lot of military people because of a background, yep. they always related so well to you. They have a incredible compliments of how you're trying to bring the art for all purpose of their needs before yes. war, yes. during a war, yep. after war. How is that work for you too? Because it's almost like, it's not almost, you, you speak their language because you've been there, done that. Yep. And you know, what is the feeling of being a war and live a war and how the jiu-jitsu in the way you see will benefit all of them so well? Well, I've never been in combat, but, but, but I do understand you have all these people in your military language, yes. And I understand um, more than most violence. And I understand more than most organized group violence and how you relate the individual jiu-jitsu philosophy to not only one-on-one -on -one street combat with weapons, with obstacles, with possible other opponents, but how you apply the philosophy to you... It's like you're speaking Working their language. within a team, yes. You speak their language, because it's something that is every school end up having the instructors face a language, the character. Yes. In a way, you, I noticed that a lot of people that I spoke with, they related to you so well, everyone that is involved in the military. <laughs> you, you develop also a way to, yep. to innovating how you teach Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. Not only for military, but for anyone who wants to Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. How does that work on you, that your own personal experience learning from the beginning of jiu-jitsu in America and the chance to live all these generations and develop on jiu-jitsu. How does that make you see the way you see jiu-jitsu today, especially when you're coaching and teaching people? I kind of look at it like um, this as an analogy. Uh -huh. And analogies are just analogies. At a certain point, all analogies fail but it's kind of like if you look at the japanese original jiu-jitsu which per perhaps came from india then was maybe lost and redeveloped then you have world war two happens japanese culture changes and in brazil you guys take Jiu-Jitsu in this direction, the Japanese go in this direction. It's almost a speciation occurs. So if you have like the original ancestral wild cat, out of it you get a lion and a tiger, and a cheetah, and a puma, 
And they're all cats. They all relate, but one cat's a little different, right? And um, so the Brazilian, I used to say all the time, um, so while, while after the war, America was, and uh, Japan and Europe were making the jiu-jitsu an Olympic sport, which is judo, adding rules in Brazil, they were taking rules away. And there's the speciation, right? Boom. Now, w w within j just a few years, you have almost two separate arts, whereas but judo is very regulated and rule-oriented. Yeah, the rules, the rules made more sense to be a stand-up. Yes. And when you take the rules out in jiu-jitsu, it makes more sense to be the, in, in, to go to the ground. To keep it on the ground. Yes. If you can't throw the guy and knock them out on the throw, then it's a grappling fight. Exactly. And um, but so then you come over to America, you introduce this Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whereas in the American minds, we're still seeing jiu-jitsu as a Japanese thing. And we're like, wow, this is different, and this is really cool. And then come the wrestling and the sambo, and little things are added which create an evolution. And so it even further speciates when, like back early MMA, they would come from a jiu-jitsu school or a wrestling school or a kick a boxing school now there's like an MMA style so it means there's less MMA guys involved in the jiu-jitsu school so then it starts and the IBJ JF comes but John Jack was the head of um, Gracie back yeah, Grace, in Brazil, Gracie, yeah. head coach, head champion, winning all these things. They kick you out about politics. You end up over here in the United States. Then the sport starts to evolve in these things where they keep adding rules the way judo did, right? Adding this rule, that rule, no heel hook, and this, and, and then these rules change. I remember when you, you fought in, the, I think it was the 98 or 99 pans. It was Jacare, I think. And you, Jamelon. Yeah. Jamelon. And I, the, the crowd booed when you had his foot. And I'm like, but now no, no crowd would ever boo, right? Because that was the early adopting of uh, the new stuff. And in that time, I remember, because I'm an observer, because I was a stutterer as a kid, I know how to observe all human interactions. And I watched Keegan go from a very flowing game and learning the pressure game. And that pressure game wasn't unique or even really there at the time. It took the control of jiu-jitsu, the weight and balance of wrestling, the structure hold of judo, the to kind of like meet to where Hegan really was like the guy who developed the pressure game and the pressure passing. Now, some people m m might be looking at this, throwing shit at the screen and say, no, man, this guy developed. No. Back in the early 90s, I watched at least with Hegan for sure, who then spread it to us and others, and then that pressure game. And 
Back in those early days, I, I remember Hegan could line up guys and tap them with just cross sides pressure because they hadn't experienced that. And it was new. And, and I think it was new in Brazil too at that time. I, I don't know. No, no, I, I think, don't know. I, I think we, when we learn Jiu Jitsu, when healed advantage in terms of we have, because we don't learn Jiu Jitsu. And actually, we never learn jiu-jitsu with the intent to fight. We always learn jiu-jitsu with the intent to teach. We become great fighters, but the yep. learning process of our jiu-jitsu is always teaching. Yes. You know, this is for a fight. No, we learn this to, oh, that skill can teach better your student. Yes. And I think we always, growing up in a martial arts, always relate to jiu-jitsu to, as a samurai. And if you think about what samurai actually is, it's a servant. And Jiu-Jitsu has the same mentality. We always learn to teach, become a better teacher, which consequently will become better fighters. If I can teach you to do a technique very well, that means I'm capable not to do that technique extremely well. Yes. And that's how my progress based on is make you do better, makes me be even better. Yes, and through that philosophy is I think the... the the, one of the reasons why I will say I got pretty good is because I had to teach too. And early on, Hegan would like call me up and he'd be always, hey, come over and yes, help me teach. We always yes. do that. Come and help yes. me to teach because I want the students, until today we do that, to get that feeling of pass on. Oh, I care about somebody else now. And everyone goes to their yes. path. Every new guy that comes yeah. here, I have an, uh, a blue belt, I have a purple belt, going to the same process. Oh, show him escape from the mouth. Yes. And if you can teach it, you know it. Yeah. Then it's that, almost... That was yeah. his class. Yes. Know how to teach someone. Yeah, they, yeah. They yeah. soon as didn't realize that. No, no. I'm sure now they're going to hear that. It's like, oh, now I know Ajahn Jack always called me to show a technique. Some days I don't want to do it, but I get so involved in that. Uh, I yeah. can do better technique now because I was able to teach. Someone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that is how well, the art grows. I often say, as an art, I like analogies. So you can look at the jiu-jitsu, one, as like um, ballet. You, you, you can't just walk in one day and be, I'm going to do ballet. You have to do pre-ballet, you have to stretch. It's a process. It, it's a process where you're learning an art that others have learned and they're handing it down. It's, it's... In Jiu-Jitsu have those phases like, you first learn how to learn. Yeah, yes. And then once you learn how to learn, you learn how to teach. Then you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, it very goes, It's not like, oh, I'm teaching. No, I learn how to learn first, because I don't know. And when I understand and learn how to learn, yes. I'm in a point that, you know, I think I can show what I learned to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then you, it's like, if you think of it in the belt, it's like, you don't realize, like, I didn't realize how good the black belts really were until I was like a seasoned, a purple belt, right? And where you're hitting that wall like, how do I get past this fucking well, purple belt? I feel like I know everything now. 
I know how to mount, how to arm lock and all that stuff, but what am I missing, right? What part? And that's where that, that feeling comes where, like where you don't really remember this, but when I was either a purple, no, a brown or a black belt, you fixed my triangle and showed me how to do micro adjustments because I thought I knew it and I was stuck. And then because I was stuck, I would say, oh, it's because my legs are short. Oh, it's because of this. I would have every other reason than the jujitsu solution to my problem, right? And then you showed me a couple tricks and from then on, it's like, I, oh, I have a triangle now. Just don't show that to anybody out there. No, that's, that's so a good. secret. But what I think is, <laughs> that's a through secret. this whole process, as someone who likes to teach, someone who wants to teach, evident we're trying to learn as much as possible. I know today I teach techniques that I do not use myself when I fight. Me too. Me too. And... But the process for me, and when you mentioned the belt ranking, is, is not the amount of techniques that the people know. It's how well they knew, they know, how, how well they do the techniques they know. Yes, yes. I think it's the combinations they have in their games, that's what makes their level move up. It's not how many techniques you know. Yep. I'm sure all of us here we know 500 techniques. We forget do, more. Do we use then, 500 yeah. techniques? No, we might use five, six, seven techniques, but we're going to have to be exposed to those 500 techniques yes. to create our own combination into our Jiu-Jitsu game. Yes. And the students I have over here, and today is more obvious than to see is sometimes a purple belt has a great combination in parts of the guard, which sometimes make harder than another higher belt that you train with. Yep, yep. Their combination. And I think the ranking goes by how well they combine their techniques. Yes. And that's the beauty of Jiu-Jitsu because each one end up making their own combination. Mm -hmm. But for them to create their own combination, they need to have the sources. I want to expose them to every single possibility position that I know, and they will make the selection of what fits into their personality, into their athleticism, into their physique, into their mentality. That's why Jiu-Jitsu is non-stop evolution. It's non-stop. And also, I think, and as a guy who boxed and uh, coached boxing, boxing is a simple art. Jab, cross, hook, slip, bob, weave, footwork, footwork, feint, it's, you could learn everything in a weekend, but you spend the rest of your life mastering it. But jiu-jitsu, I will see some guy show move, and, and I'll remember that I used to do that all the time. Why don't I do that anymore? Because there's so much knowledge. The breadth of it is so much it's, larger. It's, that's than, the danger because people get lost with yes, the techniques. You can get lost. And it's like, remember in the early days, and I still occasionally have a guy who will think that once I learn it, then I know it, right? It's like, it's like oh, can you show me that? Okay, now I know it. It's like, no, you, you don't know it. It's like anyone but can draw a face. I draw a circle, I 
put, there's the eyes, there's the nose and the mouth. Does that mean you can really know? It's like now you've got to learn how to really draw you a face, get, right? You get the idea of. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a timing on the mat. It's a training. It's evidently a good instruction. Yeah. I think you have to, evidently every school, you have to surround yourself with guys that do better than you. This way they bring your game always to the highest level. Yep. And always a learning process. It's really important. Um, Chris, is, is in this whole process and journey that you have, do you see yourself today without Jiu-Jitsu? What Jiu-Jitsu did for you? Let me put it this way. Two weeks ago, I had meniscus arthroscopy uh -huh. because my, my knee over the last... I was lucky to where I went till I was... 48 without any major injuries. And I remember like seeing the guys who, who had the bad knee injury and it's like, oh man, that guy's fucked, right? You know, I had the sore back, the neck, you, you're, your back's out for two weeks, you're walking. But, and my knee locked up and it kept locking up and it would click. And, and I built my entire guard career from purple belt to new black on, Elahiva guards and the, that whole hook game and the Jean Jack inside sweep game. Suddenly, now my knees are bad. It's like, fuck. So now I'm actually faced with looking at what is life going to be like without the part of jujitsu that I loved so much. And, um, but I, I had an operation, a two weeks ago but in the last like couple of years i had to pick a whole new style right it, and i couldn't hold proper um a posture anymore because of my knees i had to have a whole low a posture you, game you're, you're relearning i'm how, relearning yes yes and uh, look, just adapting yeah everyone just, will go through that phase yeah. regardless of injury or not yes sometimes you were able to train for two hours Yes. Now I have to reduce to half an hour. How can I manage my game for half an hour? I had an How? issue with I had an issue with my knee a while back. Um, I had fluid built up. Oh yeah. And I don't know why. Like I didn't hit it. It didn't get trauma. But they, before they drain it, they said we gotta scan it to make sure there's nothing serious. So they give me the report on disc, and I read it, and it says um, natural deterioration. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Like they drained it, it's been fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw those two words, natural deterioration. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, well, you're over 50. That's just... Yeah. So what I started doing, my knees are still okay, but I play like most of my game is butterfly hooks. I limit the amount of stress now. I feel like I, if I'm going to engage and I feel like, no, this is, I'm going to feel this, I use it to frame, create space, and change, yes. change tactics. Yep, I got to change my entire game yeah. now. And... I love top player. I'm a top player. Look, and I we, have been for the last it, it, it's a circle. 10, 15 we go years, all yeah. the way to the top, then suddenly go back. Like man, I, this basic move now works so yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like I go back and yeah. recycle myself again. Because what? I was like one of the early guys who would invert back, and one of the first matches, me against a, a clever in. In the Hickson Tournament. thing, I would invert, and I remember afterwards, even the Brazilians were coming up and asking me, 
that inversion thing. You, you, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying I, I invented it. I didn't no, invent it was, anything. It was just part of, of how you play as you should. But I was an yeah. early adopter of that game, uh, of, of that, that a game I learned early on from in my purple belt phase from Hegan and John. They said, have an impassable guard. Once you, keep, once you feel so confident that people can't pass it, or the second when they pass, you recover it, then you can have an attacking guard. Because now you're not worried about, oh, I got to be passed, I got to hold it. I, it's like, go ahead, try to pass. Right? And that was like that evolution that was like that early 90s through the early aughts where the guard was just becoming this scientific laboratory, right? Yeah, yeah. and I think it's today we have so many more people training jiu-jitsu, practicing jiu-jitsu, competing with jiu-jitsu. And evidently, there's a lot of different ramifications that this style has today. Yes. It's more rules in that tournament, less rules in that one, or let's take this out. It's basically jiu-jitsu overall, but you can see it diversifies. It's almost you create several different styles yeah. based it is. on jiu-jitsu yep. today. That's what you see. You see a lot of phases of leg attack, then suddenly a lot of phases of half guard, then yeah, a lot of phases yeah. of open guard, yeah. then a lot of phases of passing like this. And, mm -hmm. and the Jiu-Jitsu will always continue that trend of improving every every kind of a several tournaments, something recycle yes. that comes back in. How did it feel to get your black belt? Well, I will say this. The only belt that I felt like yeah, that's mine. Fuck you very much. <laughs> Was my brown belt. I I I had been a purple belt for like six years at that time, and I'd gone through the purple belt blues. Were thinking I can't get any improvement. Then I would improve and I'd get better, and I'm doing really good. And it's like, it's like finally, I get the brown belt. It's like yes, I'm the brown belt. I felt like the the day I had it, I was a brown belt. But every other belt, the blue belt and the black belt. When they first, I did, I, I felt like an imposter, right? Like, fuck, I'm not really here yet. And I am grateful that within the first three months of having the black belt, I had that black belt match and won. Because then it's like, okay, I am a black belt. Because at, at the time, I the only comparisons I had to holding the black belt was Gracie's and Machado's. I, I mean, the icons, that's, right? Yeah, that's the case in point for my question, because today, like, you see people chasing the belt, chasing things, yeah. and it's like, you have to own up to that, you know? You, you're going to get that belt, you're going to need to represent it, and we it's, were told, it's, yeah. it's different now, you know, but see, back then. We were told in, in the early days, and I want to say it was either Horion that said this to me, maybe Carlos even, not everybody gets the, but to be a black belt even if they train all the time and it's it, it, it's so you felt like god i might not ever get this so so it did make you dig, dig yeah, deep yeah, yeah. right whereas if you have it where you know don't worry in two years if you still suck i'm going to promote you then it kind of waters it down, right? It becomes a time and grade thing. Not, not in our school, right? Not, in, <laughs> no, not, no. not every school does that. But like, 
So, so the, the, the way I rank, okay? Look how funny it is. You say about that. Uh, we get some, a uh, few weeks ago, have a lot of students got promoted because we have the COVID and delay a lot of things. Yeah. And some of the guys, man, how long have you been trained? And one of the guys like, man, I've been trained for, he got his black belt, 16 years. Yeah, 16 years. He was never in a hurry and he was not ready. He wasn't trained as often as he used to shoot. But then he realized the moment he started yeah. being more committed training, but it took him 16 years. 16 I, years. He didn't I don't quit. Know, I don't know no. why people today like, oh, hold on. It's, I feel like a lot of great fighters out there, they have great techniques to be a black belt. But it's not only that that makes you a black belt. Yes. And I said that many times before. You, you give me a book, and the book you gave me has 20 chapters. It's like I read these first two chapters, like, I know, I know now how to. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell the story of the book. I might understand those first two chapters, they'll be good enough, but it'll be hard for me now to teach that to somebody else. Yeah, impossible. You understand? And today, yeah. a lot of people that get their belts four years, five years, they're great competitors, doesn't mean they're gonna be able to teach somebody because they never finish this whole process of being situations, be in the school and understand what, how to learn, how do I teach, how to learn. That's why a lot of times, not because the student today, his jiu-jitsu can submit the instructor. Right. Doesn't mean he teach better than the instructor and just show the fact that he's able to use his jiu-jitsu and submit the instructor, mm -hmm. that tells me the instructor is a pretty good instructor. That does, yes. And I think that velocity that people want to do everything fast like the internet, Yeah. it makes you lose the best of jiu-jitsu. It does. Because, and, and it's true, I say, I've often said, the only people who say to not worry about your rank, your belt, are black belts, right? Because I mean, the part of when you're a lower belt, you can't not help but wonder because it's a marker of growth. Mm -hmm. So if you're not progressing in there, you can either get mad and quit or you can be forced to relearn, right? And to, I always say like, now that I'm a salty old black belt, right? Each stripe, is the time to forget everything you know and start all over again. Because like, I'm supposed to be a sixth stripe right now, but I can't ask Hegan, right? Because you're not allowed to ask, right? I'm old school, you, you can never ask. What was that again? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll watch this. I don't know. But <laughs> not allowed to ask. Six strike. I, I like that because I, I, I hear it all the time. That's so. a, like in oh, the olden days, you, I, you never ask I have, for rank, right? In our school, all the students know that. Some guys like, oh, you think I'm ready for a blue belt? Man, you give I always, another year. I was thinking about you give a blue belt, but since you ask next year. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seriously, I was thinking about to give you... This week, but since you asked now, another year. Yeah, I was supposed to be sixth degree I'll, I'll, six months ago. As soon as we finish, I'm gonna call Hagen. <laughs> you can't. I will ask for him. He'll be fine. He'll be like, oh, Jean-Jacques, just call Man. me. But Chris, now you have to wait three more years. <laughs> no, I think, I, I mean, I, 
the, the stripes after a black belt, I often man, say, man, that, that's just... I, I'll just, be honest with you, I don't think I ever remember in Brazil getting stripes. <laughs> there were no... When I was new in this... <laughs> None of my belts had, had any bar. No, nobody had bars and stripes. <laughs> you see, like, man, that belt's so beat up. He must be there for quite some time. He's, he's like an advanced blue belt. I remember it in Horion's <laughs> backyard. Seeing Hegan standing there, black belt hanging down to here, yeah. Hickson, black belt over the thing, Hoist, no red swath, no stripes. Yeah, yeah that, that's none of the, the, the colored belts had stripes Today or anything. Very, that was all, yes. And uh, let me ask you this, Chris. It's uh, something that I do if everyone that comes in. Who is Chris Howder? Oh boy, now we're getting into philosophy which is my favorite Man. topic of you, all. You tell me, I'm curious to know. I know you, but I want to know how you know yourself. How do you see yourself? This is the model in which, and I don't know how accurate it is, and it's just a model. That's But I believe that this model, who we are is this core. And we grow up, we have an orbiting awareness loosely of who we are, but can never really get to who we are. We just orbit. Then we become aware of being aware, and we got another orbiting layer. Then there are certain events in life and things where we realize that one of these layers is really not at all anything but chatter in our mind. That we're repeating things, that, that, that we really are just a mirror of others. But kind of like how, how they have those um, a, a chambers where it's so soundproof and lightproof that most people can't handle a half an hour in there because when we can't interact with our world and sense, we start losing a lot of layers. And then whatever the inner core is of you, you start to become aware of. And in some ways it's humbling because you'll realize there's not much there without the reflecting of the other layers. So philosophically, who am I? I try to live my life as if I am from the far future and I'm transported back in time and I'm observing life as a historian or a, a journalist from the future. And, uh, so I don't personalize or emotionally attach to what is happening. Oh, fine. I will do that for you. <laughs> Chris, how I, don't, I didn't answer for, your question. No, so. no. <laughs> you, you, you did in a way. And uh, the way you think, the way you see the evolution of mankind in a way. <laughs> and on your case, the evolution, the way you see things in life. Can I have one yes, more Yes, please. Yes. So... That's the mind part. Then you have the spirit and the body. And you cannot separate these. And the illusion is that you can. So my body has trained 
for 30 something years, jujitsu. So it has grown a part of me. So it's grown into my mind and in my spirit. And I think that we have who we are. Is there a core or not? I don't know. But one thing I can say is um, in the beginning of uh, my brothers and myself journey outside Brazil in America, we end up meeting people. And I always tell that I don't believe the people that went up meeting life was an accident. And I think the fact that you came along with Higgin and became part of our, not only Higgin, but all the brothers' life in a way, because I remember in the early days, things were very different than today. And you are one of the few guys that extend your arm. No, you guys can live in my parents house you know they are for rent there and you guys you made an incredible deal and you made it possible for us to achieve especially in the hard beginning of our lives in america you extend your hands not a lot of people know that but made it possible for us to begin our journey in america and i think and i will never forget and you know, very few people that we met along the way that were without anything in exchange, just the kindness that they saw some value on their art, they saw some value on the person that who we were. Nobody knew we were gonna be, become what we become today. But in back those days, because who you are, your personality, you became part of the Machado family, right, right from the beginning and until today, still putting out there the Jiu Jitsu and um, and made it possible for us to that hard beginning to have a place to stay, to have a house yeah. to live, to have a house that we're able to teach. I don't know if anyone ever told you that, but if it wasn't for that kindness that that time, maybe we're not even going to be here today. Well, thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. And Chris Howard, all of this knowledge that he did from himself, I understand, but also from our view, somebody who has a great contribution to make sure Jiu-Jitsu never stop, especially in the early days. And you guys should be very thankful for his early support to the Machado brothers and made possible for all of us to, to have a podcast, to continue our Jiu-Jitsu life. And he knows that wasn't easy in those early days. And it was the students that we had, and you are one of them, that made possible for us to, to be here. Thank you very much, Mr. Thank you. Yeah, thank and you guys, much. go to the Combat Base YouTube channel. Don't just look for Combat Base or my name because it'll be on somebody else's channel. Go to Combat Base YouTube channel, click like, subscribe, and you'll never see it again. It just <laughs> helps the algorithm. And and I think too is uh, all, all that information will That's my provide oh, yeah. provide we'll, we'll, we'll provide put the, we'll put the link we'll get yeah, the we'll link. Put the oh link cool up. we'll put the link because up. I forget that all the time and mm -hmm. my wife will be so Every, mad no 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 you'll be amazed we, all the information Jay we get it then uh, our wives are tough oh my wife is a third degree black belt Man. very tough. I learned that don't teach you to your wife, but that's another story. <laughs> All right, everyone. Once again, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, John Jack. Man, thank you, Jay. You. Thanks, Chris. Good to see, see you guys you. next thank time. You. No Give Required Podcast. 
This episode of No Gear Required was produced by JJ Rapplin Incorporated, engineered by Mike Zavalos, and sponsored by The Art of Marcel Santos Fine Art Gallery, JJM 3.0 Advanced Online Training, Lutegear, Authority Auto, and Body LX 360.